0: Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, founder and president of Gen Next Wealth, the financial planning and investment firm. I couldn't be more excited to have this guest on that we're gonna have today. Today, we're gonna be talking to Tyrone Ross Jr. And we're gonna be talking about cryptocurrency. There's been a lot of questions I've been getting from people on my social medias about crypto. And so I said, you know what? I'm gonna go find a cryptocurrency expert He's the cryptocurrency extraordinaire, all things crypto. I kind of think of it like Bill Nye, the science guy for
1: crypto, Tyrone Ross. So what's going on, Ty? Nothing much, man. Thank you for having me. I'm super grateful and appreciative of you sharing your platform with me. So I'm excited.
0: Awesome, man. So before we get into the interview, can you give our listeners a little background of
1: yourself, a little background of who Ty is? Absolutely. So born and raised here in New Jersey, one of two. I have an older sister. I have a 25-year-old niece and two great nephews, which is my small, immediate family. My extended family is ginormous. My dad is one of 27. My mother is one of 12. On my mother's side, I am the youngest of, at last count, 50-something grandchildren. Hold on. I'm going to jump in. You said one of 27? Yeah, my dad's one of 27, bro. 27. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, my dad's side of the family is enormous. (laughs) It's enormous. But yeah, my dad came from South America, Guyana, to be exact. Met my mom, who had my sister at 17. My sister was nine months old. They've been together ever since. I came along six years after that. Yeah, and here we are. So again, went to high school in a small town called Metuchen only because we borrowed my aunt's address (laughs) and I was able to go to school there. I was blessed to link up with a high school coach who guided me. I ended up getting a full scholarship to Georgia Tech where I was promptly kicked out twice. The second go round, came back to Jersey and then finished up at Seton Hall, did graduate work at Seton Hall. Then I ended up on Wall Street, 26 years old, literally not knowing what the stock market was, not knowing what stocks was starting out in an investor relations firm. And then again, long story less long, I'm a blessed circuitous route to where I am now, which is again, an entrepreneur or investment advisor. Pretty soon to be making a big announcement about my own thing I got going. So that's it. Long story less long.
0: And I think you're being a little humble on there. I mean, there's been some awards. I think I seen something in investment news about somebody named. <laughs> weren't you in the top 40 under 40?
1: Yeah, 40 under 40 list again is a blessing. It was amazing to be nominated by my peers and and acknowledged by them. And one thing I do plan to do is use that platform responsibly to be the voice of the voiceless and the people who don't have the platform that I have. And all of these awards, no matter what they are, I want to make sure that. I'm using them to speak to causes and to speak for people that have less than and will never have an opportunity to speak for themselves on that type of platform. So I'm blessed and super grateful to have it. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think about it. I was fortunate
0: to meet you at the conference in Dana Point at the IMN conference and was able to hear you speak on crypto. I was impressed. I was like, man, this guy, everybody on the stage was deferring to you as it pertained to crypto. And so, you know, immediately after that, we were able to actually before that, we were able to sit down and talk a little bit. And I was like, man, I was impressed. I think you're really being humble on this platform, which is fine with me. I think humility always precedes honor. So that's a good thing. But what I wanted to get into was, you know, you told us a little bit about your background and you're an investment advisor and you're in transition right now. So you said you're unrestricted free agent.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep, I am. I am. Um, let, you know, I'll be the last one after Kawhi. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Seeing all the see free agents linking up right now. So that's why I was like, uh, yeah, he's unrestricted. So, he could. you know, we might see Tyrone might go to the Lakers. That's the hot spot you wanted to get to anyways. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but so what I wanted to do is today we're going to talk a little bit about what cryptocurrency is, and I just wanted you to give us a little background about cryptocurrency and answer. You know, I have a few questions queued up for you. But first, just what is cryptocurrency?
1: Cryptocurrency is simply put, Internet money. All it is, Internet money It's money that is native to the Internet that was created by folks with big old brains that somehow decided, all right, we have the Internet where we build websites and we're recording this podcast now what if we actually use that same technology and some of those same tools cryptography computer science economics all those things put that together triple account entry accounting all those things put it together and develop money that is native to the internet that is on the internet as the only thing that is missing from the internet now. And in 2009, that's what happened with Satoshi Nakamoto and the invention of Bitcoin, which you can get into all of that. But just to back up, just so people understand, all it is, is money that is native to the internet. You can't touch it, you can't feel it, but it's money that you can spend that has value that so long as you have an internet connection, you can spend it.
0: Okay. So- that leads to more questions so it's just this money that's on the internet I mean, how does it have value? You said it has value you can spend it, but can I go on to like can I go on Amazon and buy something with my cryptocurrency?
1: Yes, now you can there are a lot of things you can buy with crypto. there's a misnomer that it's not used for payments or it is right A lot of people don't use it for that right now, but there are people that do and those are people who are really tech native and understand it. So here's the thing. It has value just like anything else. It has value because people says it has value and they believe in it. Right. Why does the dollar have value? Why does Mercedes have value? Right. So what makes anything have value is when someone says, "Okay, well, I'm going to buy this and I think someone else will buy it later because it has certain properties that will allow it to be worth more in the future. So a lot of people are comparing Bitcoin to gold. Why? Let's make it very simple. In order for me to get gold out of the ground for my gold chain or gold ring or or whatever the case may be, there takes a lot of tractors and trucks and people to dig it out of the ground. Gold is scarce. It takes a lot to get it. So that gives it its value. And then it's turned around and it's used in a bunch of things. Now with Bitcoin, Bitcoin is, quote unquote, mined, but mined by computers. And algorithms in math, so there are a whole bunch of these powerful computers running all of these algorithms, trying to figure out the math problem that would allow them to unlock Bitcoin. Once you run that computer algorithm, and your computer's the one that figure it out, you get the Bitcoin, right? I mean, that's when you get into the whole blockchain thing. You're rewarded. They call it a block reward, so you are rewarded the amount of Bitcoin for that block, which is right now again, and I don't want to get too nerdy and clunky with this because I need people to understand it, it's 12 and a half Bitcoin. That's basically how it works. So now people say, okay, well, we put all this computing power and we spend all this energy and electricity into computing this and then we get out a certain amount of Bitcoin. That's where the beginning of attaching value to Bitcoin comes. And then you get into the use cases of, okay, well now if it's digital gold I can put some money into it and it'll increase in value. And then we get into the whole nuance of portfolio construction and all that. We're not there yet in the conversation, but to keep it simple, it has value because it's scarce. There ever only will be 21 million Bitcoin. I mean, right now I think they're saying there's somewhere between three and four million that are just gone, that have been lost or whatever. So that leaves roughly 17 million left that will be mined. So it has scarcity. It takes a lot to actually, you know, produce it. It has a lot of other properties as well. But those are the main components that actually give it value. Okay, so it's
0: like almost, you know, right now the government controls how money is printed, right? The Fed's gonna print yep. money. And then that can affect the value of the dollar by how much money we have in the open market. And then so it's controlled by the Fed. So this is independently controlled,
1: not by the government. Yes, this is independent of the government. The reason why it was, again, remember when I said it was created 2009? Remember what happened in 2008, 2009, financial crisis? This was released right at that time when banks were saying we're going to come together, we're going to create this mass influx of cash and money and make it available for bankers and organizations and companies to fund themselves. And this was somewhat of a libertarian rebellion against that. No one controls Bitcoin. It's math is an algorithm. It runs in and of itself. No one can change it. No one can do anything to it. It's free and clear. And the reason why that is because the creator or creators, I believe it was creators more than one, under the pseudonym, Satoshi Nakamoto created this, and they walked away from the project forever.
0: So it's going to always retain some type of monetary value because of scarcity.
1: Right, because it's scarcity. And, and no matter what, every 10 minutes, mine's a new block, right? Sometimes it can take up to an hour, but it's set so that every 10 minutes, a new block is mined. 12 and a half Bitcoin come out of that block. Now, next year, 2020, there's something called the halving. So every four years, the block reward gets cut in half. So in 2020, it'll be 6.25 Bitcoin, right? So it's essentially a deflationary asset. And again, there's a lot of economic, Austrian economics and everything that goes into this, and it gets really, really weird. But that's basically it. So over time, right, they become more scarce. People say, oh, I, I got to get one, right? And one of the things that you always see on Twitter is there's, X amount of Bitcoin, right? I think there's 36 million millionaires in the US or something like that. And there there will only be 17 million Bitcoin, not enough Bitcoin for every millionaire or something like that. So people have a fancy way of putting value on it. But essentially, that's exactly what it is. The scarcity is what gives it value. And I think that's
0: important for the listeners to hear because I think sometimes you're like, okay, this is internet money. We just make some more. And if you take that same thing like we see here in the States, we need more money. We just print more money and it devalues. So understanding that there's only limited resources and how much you can get does create a lot more value in that case. So my next question is, how does the regular everyday person, how do they find out information about because Bitcoin's not the only cryptocurrency. I know there's several of them out there. Bitcoin is just a big one. How does someone, if they're like, okay, well, I want to get into Bitcoin. We're not giving investment advice. Let me say that again. We're not giving advice on. But if someone wanted to find more information or try to get into something like this, what would they do? Here's what
1: I would do if I was someone looking to get into this. Obviously, people Google search all types of stuff. People give medical advice and everything off of Google search. But Google search Bitcoin white paper and read that. Again, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but it's only nine pages. But you can probably get the first page and a half before it starts getting really techie and understand it. But to make it even easier, a lot of especially folks of color and people in general using Cash App right now, which is an app developed by Square. Square has a very basic piece. If you go to their site and you look up Bitcoin, it'll explain to you what Bitcoin is. Very simple. You know, there's a kind of in cartoon format, but they keep it really basic, great education. There's a lot of educational tools out there. Again, a Google search. There are really smart people on Twitter to educate folks like, like myself and others. But, you know, in terms of things that people use, you can go to Cash App and they have, you know, I forgot what it's called, My First Bitcoin or something like that. And it breaks it down very simply what it is. And they show you and walk you through what it is and then actually how to access it through Cash App. I would encourage people just to read, try and understand the white paper. And if there's some interest there, then maybe go to, all right, well, this is kind of techy, clunky, try and find an easier version of it and try and get a, a more rudimentary explanation. And I think Cash App does a good job of that.
0: And Cash App, that's the app on your phone that you can peer-to-peer, you can pay yep, people. Yep, it. So okay. Yeah. And that's kind of like, how Bitcoin is. Because I heard you tell a story about this and I'd like you to, to revisit that story about how you got into the whole, how you started in cryptocurrency in general. I think you were talking about one of your friends and then they sent you something. T- tell that story because I think that'll make it a really relatable to people because that's where a lot of people are at at this point.
1: I was introduced right around 2015, late 2015, a friend of mine who was always the one making our fake IDs and all that back in the day, (laughs) you know, just a straight computer nerd. He was like, oh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. I'm like, man, if you don't get out of here with that fake nonsense. No, no, no. Bitcoin, Bitcoin. He just was harassing me. So finally, he was like, let me send you some. I'm like, whatever, man. So I downloaded this app called Bread Wallet. He was like, all right, I got my friend on the phone, too. And you're going to send when I send it to you, you're going to send it to him. And I'm like, all right, man, whatever. I got time before another conference call. What's up? So he sent me five dollars and I got it like that. I saw it hit the account or whatever. I'm like, whoa. Now, if you've been in our business, you realize, right, it's three days for money to settle, seven days for ACH. We don't have a real time payment system here in the U.S. yet. Right. There's countries that had it since the 60s, the 70s. So I'm like, whoa, I got to pay attention to this. And then I turn around and I sent it to the person who was on the phone. And I'm like, I saw it leave my account and I saw it hit their account. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> so right after that, he put me in his Facebook group chat and I see all these smart people. Uh, they talking about SHA-256 and mempools and cryptography and da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, what is all of this? But I sat back. I had nothing to add to the conversation because, again, I'm not smart. But I'm like, what I did see, they're giving each other some terrible investment advice. (laughs) So I'm like, boom, that's when the light went off. I'm like, if I could learn more about this than any financial advisor that's out there, I'm going to win. So I was like, let me go all in, learn as much as I can. And that's what I did. You know, by the grace of God, I was able to talk to him and then dig in and read it and then started follow smart people on Twitter I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna hold myself out as a crypto asset advisor. Nobody else is doing it. Nobody would dare do it. I'm gonna walk right to the line and I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna give advice. I'm not gonna talk about price or anything like that, but I'm just gonna educate people. And again, that's how now that's how I, I got my following on Twitter. That's how all of I believe these awards and recognition is coming about because it's like, well, here is somebody talking about something that no one else is talking about, and he's also a man of color. And he's talking about it in terms of how it'll benefit people who are unbanked. So I think that's kind of where, you know, everything started to evolve and come from.
0: And it's interesting when you talk about the unbanked, because there's a lot of people that are unbanked. My previous life, I worked as a bank manager and having people having to take someone from not having a bank account, sometimes not even speaking English and teaching them how to use a bank account. I think this is where we're at with Bitcoin. Very, very similar. Like we're taking people that uh, don't have any investment knowledge or have limited investment knowledge, haven't really invested in anything, but they hear all the buzz about Bitcoin. And so we're trying to take someone that's uninvested, frankly, and then take them and talk to them about this new stuff that's coming out, which is the blockchain stuff with Bitcoin and Litecoin and the other Coins that cryptocurrencies that are out there. And so, what I'm hearing and what I've heard from people is just questions about it. Like, there's an intrigue, there's an interest, and I, I love it. And I know people of color are out there. And, I mean, everybody for that matter, and anybody that's out there that can hear this, that's an earshot of this, is probably wondering how to get started and what to do. And I appreciate you explaining your journey on there. There's been some recent stuff, and sometimes I don't, I don't like to put stuff like this on the podcast just because it's politics, but hey, what the hell? So, just recently, President Trump came out and said some stuff about Bitcoin and about the stuff that's going on with Facebook. I just wanted to ask
1: you, what are your thoughts on that without getting political? just We won't get political, but yeah, there's been a lot of talk about Libra now. Bitcoin has always been, you know, it's part of the public lexicon now, people talking about. And last night, the president of the United States tweeted, yes, we are saying that in 2019, tweeted about both Libra and Bitcoin, but let's back up and talk about Libra. Here's the thing about Libra, and I've been talking about this on television, on podcasts, trying to draw as much attention to it as possible. If you look at the mission statement of what Libra is trying to do, they are trying to give identity to people who don't have it. That is the most powerful thing in the world. Literally, we see you, but we are going to use the technology we have to give you identity. Extremely powerful. This is in their mission statement. Second thing they said is, now we're going to give you identity, but then we're going to give you a way to bank yourself. Extremely powerful. There are 34 million people in this country that are considered working poor, that Facebook would be able to help. Seven out of 10 teenagers that use Facebook come from families that make $30,000 a year or less. There are one point something billion, let's just for the sake of argument, call it two billion people who don't have bank accounts worldwide. There are roughly three, four million here in the U.S., right? And these are people who are in poor, rural, inner city communities who don't have identity. Whether they can't get to a DMV or whatever the case may be, they don't have identity. This is what Facebook is trying to do. The other piece of it is Facebook is not running it. They are part of an entity that is going to create it. So they're not the sole determining figure on what happens with Libra. So here's the thing I need people to understand about it. What our banking system needs is competition. For as long as banking has existed, it has been exclusive of people who don't have means. It is very expensive to be poor in this country. And one of the things that people don't realize is When you are dying and screaming for help, you don't complain about the color of the life preserver. If Facebook wants to be the one because they realize, hey, we have 2 billion people that logs on to our system every day, shares all this data with us, let's create a system, a group of organizations that can help us help people bank themselves and be more efficient with their banking and have better access, let's do that. Another point to that, What Facebook also did was say, hey, we can't get proximate to people in the South Bronx. We can't get proximate to people in Compton. We can't get proximate to people in Africa or India or wherever. Will you partner with us and help us do this? So all of the talk was about, oh, they partnered with Uber and PayPal and Mastercard, but they also partnered with Kiva. They've partnered with the Women's Foundation. They've partnered with a lot of nonprofit organizations to make sure they can get proximate to people in need who will use their service. They do not need it harder to make this happen by Maxine Waters, not getting political, who's for the party of the people, by the way. And then on top of that, the most powerful man in the world that says it's a threat to banking and this, that, which it actually is, and that's great because banking. $34 billion a year in overdraft fees. A lot of people don't know. You want to know who's the largest provider of EBT and SNAP cards? JP Morgan. You know what they do to all of these people who use food stamps and they use these cards, again, that my mother had, that my sister had, that a lot of my family members use? They don't let you know what your balance is, they charge you overdrafts. All of these things. And there's a fee to use the card. And now I'm trying to feed my family and I go to the store and I get embarrassed because my card is declined. I can't keep track of what the balances are, whatever. And they get paid. I believe they have a two hundred something million dollar contract with New York City. And on top of this, no crypto company that I know of that has taken the stance that Facebook has with that platform and said, we'll take the bullets but we want to use this technology to reach people and help them bank themselves. How in God's creation could anybody have a problem with that? Altruistic, magnanimous, a thoughtful mission statement to go out and help people improve their lot in life. I really don't understand how people can have a problem with that. I'm off my soapbox, but I feel really strong about Libra and what Facebook
0: is trying to do. No, I think I'd have to agree with you. I mean, I think if you look at just something simple, like how banks you know, and and these companies make their money, department stores, what have you, some department stores make more money off the interest they charge people than the merchandise they actually sell, just to put things in perspective. So the fees that are associated with banking somewhere do come at a cost. And if you don't understand how that stuff works, you just become victim to what's going on in that system. So yeah, I totally get where you're coming from on that and you touched some major points. So with that, you know is there anything else on crypto for people out there that you know once again are trying to look into this because I want to make sure that we exhaust all the resources for our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. again, if you are on social media, feel free to follow me. I mean I know you'll link all of this or whatever, but follow me. I do a lot of educational videos. I put out a lot of educational content. I just encourage people to educate themselves. There's a book, if folks want to read, called Crypto Assets by Chris Berninski. I definitely suggest reading that book for financial advisors listening to this, for people listening to it. I highly suggest that book. There's a book called The Bitcoin Standard by Safe Dean Amus. I would read that book. It gets a little dense, but again, depending on where you are and how much you want to know. Again, do a Google search, try and read the Bitcoin white paper, go on Cash App site, look for the, I, I want to say it's called My First Bitcoin or something like that. But just educate yourself. This is something that I think people of color, I feel that we have a major class issue in this country where the poor, the working poor, people that in poverty and squalor are forgotten. And this is an asset and this is a technology that You don't have to have gone to Harvard. It has nothing to do with when and where you went to school. It has nothing to do with how much money you make. This is completely accessible. The issue is we have a responsibility, me to you, because you know I know it, you to your audience and all of us to get this back to our people and our communities to say, listen, educate yourselves on this, understand this. We need people to understand that there will be a wealth transfer in this country, right? It started with the internet and all of the wealthy folks who got wealthy off the internet are now saying, Oh, this is the next big thing. And they migrate into this. So if we educate ourselves and we realize how to get in position, There's nothing that we know how to do as a people and people of color know how to do and minorities know how to do is let's get in position. Let's position ourselves right where it's going so we can hold out our buckets and catch what's going on here. Just to that point, just to understand the magnitude of this, there was a tweet that was put on Twitter where there's a big echo chamber of people who are doing well in life with multiple degrees and running businesses or whatever. There was a stat that went up 450%. The stock market has been up since 2009, 450%. Half of the people in this country do not own equities. 50% of the people do not own equities. And a larger portion, I don't have the exact number right now, but a larger portion of people of color do not have exposure to equities. That is my responsibility. Again, responsibility of you, those of us that are in this business, to make sure that our people, the ones that allowed us this opportunity, have access to this to gain the ability to have financial freedom. I'm not talking about rich. I'm not talking about generational wealth, financial freedom, the ability to take care of your family, whatever that is for you. If that's just making sure the rent is paid so that you don't get evicted, financial freedom for you, cool. That's what this will mean. But we, we have a tremendous responsibility that people get exposure to this. And I think this technology, and if you look at the bigger companies that are using it and getting exposed to it, again, Facebook, Microsoft, We can lame companies for the next 10 minutes that are getting involved in this. We got to pay attention to it. And we got to make sure that our people are aware and drag them to this because it's going to be very important that they understand the magnitude of what's going on here.
0: Absolutely. As we're sitting here talking, I'm thinking the mission of the podcast is to change the complexion of wealth, right? So when I thinking about change the complexion, I mean the passion that you talk about this with, the fire that you have when you're speaking about these things. I, know, I hope the listeners are appreciating this and, and really understand why this is so important to you. But I, I want to ask you a question about this. I want to talk to you about what, what motivates, inspires you to grow, learn,
1: and lead. Like, why are you so fiery? What happened? I literally come from nothing. I didn't have a permanent address growing up. Right? I couldn't invite you over. I couldn't invite friends over. I had multiple addresses. We were evicted from places. We had cars repossessed, no lights, no gas. Again, I tell people all the time, we still have stuff in storage. My childhood and some of my late teenage years memories are somewhere in storage. My dad was illiterate for years. My mom, you know, I was the first one in my family to finish high school. I'm driven by my experiences. I'm driven by where I'm come from and I'm driven to help people avoid what I went through. No kid should have to experience that. And my parents struggled mightily. My dad worked on a job 40 years not being able to read or write. It was called all types of names. You know, he met my mother and he promised my mother, if you teach me how to read or write, you help me get a job. I'll take care of you when you're nine months old. My mother was out. My sister's father left my mother desolate. You know, and that struggle and that disappointment of living life like that is what drives me every single day, because I know. That my family is depending on me. And, and I also know that there are families, other families out there that are depending on people like me that have gone through that, found a way to get out. And I'm not turning my back on them and I'll come back to pull them up. So I'm driven by my failure. I'm a serial failure. I'm a three time failed Olympian. I'm driven by the fact that I'm not supposed to be here because I you know, was going to give up my life in 2012. Literally. One morning, woke up, literally going to throw myself in front of a truck. God pulled me back, grateful because there have been people who haven't known me and known anything about me, have poured into me, and grateful because when you look at where I started from and you look at what I've gone through, and again, you know, me and you discussed this and broke bread on this when we met, but when you look at all of those events and all that happened to me and my family, I'm not supposed to be here, right? My parents been together 40 years. They just got their first bank account together after 40 years together. Like I've literally in the last year or two saw my dad be able to read and write. Are you kidding me? So everything I do, I speak with passion and power because I know what I've come from. And I know that if I lead with my story and my desire and my will and my commitment to go through anything to get to the people who need it, they're counting on me. And I take that responsibility seriously. Because if there was someone who could only have reached out to my parents where they were young, trying to raise me and my sister and all that we struggled mightily with as a family, that our lives maybe could have been a little better. You know, that's the big battery in my back, man. I I just I'm driven to affect change, you know, to be a voice for the voiceless.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the passion. I had two questions for you. One. I was fortunate, you know, because I follow you on social media. So I seen on your Twitter feed when you showed your parents the investment news magazine. But I, I wanted to talk about this. How has your family supported you on this journey that you've been on?
1: It's hard to describe. I mean, my mom has been a rock, as most black mothers are. But I always tell the story when I got kicked out of Georgia Tech. Again, I'm first one in my family, finished high school, first to go to college. And what do I do? I blow my full ride. And I had to call home and I called crying and my mother said, we got the letter. We already know. She said, pack your things and come home. And I'm like, "Okay." (laughs) And I get home and my mother grabbed everybody she could to be at the airport. When I got home, like I'd won the Super Bowl. And that meant the world to me. And then I was like, what the hell do I do now? And She said, don't worry about it. I already enrolled you in the community college right across the street. You go into class. You're not going to stop. My father, if you got a Caribbean father, (laughs) you know how Caribbean fathers are. Not the most emotional. We didn't have a good relationship growing up. But what my father was always exemplary of is hard work. Hard, 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 hard work. And he always let me know through example, this is going to be your calling card. Your last name and hard work. And my sister is the exact opposite of me. My sister is, (laughs) she's the enforcer. Let's put it that way. So my sister, again, grew up in the streets, just just very much an enforcer. She's always been my protector, my supporter. And it's just incredible. And even now, my niece is the apple of my eye. I love her with everything. It's like I I essentially raised her because her father wasn't in her life right. My niece is one of 10 kids, nine of which are girls unbelievable. Don't even get me started on that. But, you know, I've essentially raised her. I mean, I remember bringing my niece with me to graduate school. and She used to sit there in the lab while I was writing and reading and things like that. So my niece is my everything. So again, my immediate family is small, but we're very, very tight. We lean on one another. We know each other's struggles. We know each other's desires and we do what we can to help one another and me As a lot of us understand, when you were the first one to get out and do well, you become the family bank, you become the source of inspiration. And to share that moment with my family that my dad was going to be able to see his name in an investment magazine and was going to be able to recognize his name. We're going to be able to read his name, read about his son and see his son in that magazine is all that's about to me. That's exactly what that's about. That's why we should tell our stories. And I needed people to see that because, as I said in the video that we all did visual, if I see it, I could be it. I need to see it first. Then I could figure out a way to get it. So that's the role my family's played, man. And and I try and be an inspiration and a resource to them in everything that I do. And, And people who follow me on Twitter, they know I reference my mother a lot. And she balances out a lot of what I do. You'll never catch me going back and forth and arguing with people on my Twitter. And I'll debate, but I'm not doing all of that because I always think about if I put something on this platform that my mother would be embarrassed about after all she went through to raise me, shame on me. That's disgusting. I would never disrespect my parents and what they've done and all they've gone through to raise me by showing my tail (laughs) on a public platform. We know what that means. Shout out to Mama Ross and and,
0: and Tyrone Ross Sr. for raising an incredible man and just being such an inspiration, not only for your family, but an inspiration to all that are in earshot and people that have followed you and, and that have seen you. One last piece of advice that you could give to our listeners. And if you had one last piece of advice, a parting gift for them, what would
1: that be? Share your story. We all have a story. Everyone's not ready to tell it all the time, but when you get ready, Share your story. There's all types of life advice and tell your story. There's financial advice, there's marriage advice, there's raising children advice, there's build a business advice. Whatever it is, there's advice in telling your story. If I can encourage anybody to tell your story, because a couple things. One, if you were in the place where I was, where you were willing to give up your life, I would not be here telling you all the things that have happened over the years to tell my story. And that would have died with me. It gives you strength. It gives other people strength. It restores you. It undergirds you by telling your story. Do not be embarrassed by getting kicked out of college. Do not be embarrassed by being the first one in your family to finish high school. Do not be embarrassed by telling people that you never had a permanent address growing up and you never knew what it was like to live in a house. You only lived in small, cramped apartments, right? Tell your story. Tell your fears. Tell your failures, right? Tell people that you tried to be an Olympian three times and you failed. Tell people that you have moments of weakness still as a grown man and you struggle with mental illness. And there are days when I'm weak and there's days when I'm down and there's days where I want to give up. And I look at my nephews, my great nephews, and I look at my family. I look at all I've gone through and I keep pushing for another day. Tell your story. Tell your story to strangers. Tell your stories to family. Tell your stories to your wife. Tell your stories to your children. Tell your stories to whoever. Yeah. To listen, the person on the yeah, plane. You'll never like, know who you're going sorry. to save. So please tell your story. Be passionate about your story. Stand by your story. Tell it with conviction and always believe in what you've gone through, what you're going through and what's coming next. Absolutely.
0: Man, Ty, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story with our listeners. And if you could just tell us where can they find you at, Ty? We want to make sure that we can get some more uh, Tyrone Ross Jr.
1: Here's where you can find the free jewelry. Hello at Tyrone Ross.io. Hello at T-Y-R-O-N-E R-O-S-S dot also follow me at TR401 on Twitter. LinkedIn as well. You put in my name, Tyrone Ross Jr. on LinkedIn. I'll pop up there as well. I share a little bit more personal stuff for my family and things on LinkedIn at Tyrun, T-Y-R-U-N 401.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is the Minority Money Podcast where we're changing the complexion of wealth. Hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time. But I don't know anything about your specific situation, so please reach out to an attorney or a CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at minoritymoneypodcast. That's f a n at minoritymoneypodcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here, and until next time.